So it's this deprivation that's bad. You're denied something. You know, so for at least for the person that has something spoiled, that's where a good part of the badness is. You're listening to Good is in the Details. I'm Gwendolyn Dalski. And I'm Rudy Salo. Okay, and Rudy, we've been doing this for a couple years now, and it seems to have just occurred to us that we do not have a mission statement. Not totally fair, Gwen. A friend of mine who's a podcast guru listened to the show. He thinks it's great, and there's something here. You and I, the reason why we've been doing this for a couple of years is something is here, but there is something missing. And that is, what's our mission statement? Okay, so what are we doing, Rudy? Well, I've always thought that what we are doing is talking to different experts, right, who have um, different approaches to life and they have expertise in certain areas, whether that's in relationships, whether that's in current events, whether that's in economics, real estate, and trying to take that expertise slash their philosophy and expanding upon it and turning that into life lessons. But that's that's way too gobbledygook of a statement for a mission statement. So okay, so it's I not it's not with, bumper sticker ready. Oh, no. Hell no. It's not okay. bumper sticker ready. I, I do. I mean, I think what, what's bumper sticker ready is whatever, Rudy. Whatever, Rudy is a great bumper sticker, which you <laughs> constantly say to me. What I came up with, okay, for our mission statement is the following. This is what I, this is what I came up with after our last IG Live, which is, welcome to the Good is in the Details podcast, where we talk to experts about their love of wisdom. Because you told me that philosophy means the love of wisdom. Is that correct? Yes, I told you that. And philosophy does mean love of wisdom. So both are true. So if you're an expert in something, by definition, you therefore must love the wisdom that it took to become an expert in it. So therefore, I think our mission statement, because this is a philosophy podcast in a way, because you're a philosophy professor and you include this as a part of your syllabus um, for your philosophy Mm -hmm. students, we have to have some philosophical component to it. So that's what I think is a bumper sticker ready mission statement. Welcome to Good is in the Details, where we talk to experts about their love of wisdom. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I like it. And I think that anyone listening, if you have any thoughts, you can get in touch on Instagram, good is in the details pod, or email good is in the details pod at gmail.com. Tell us your thoughts about our mission statement. Or what we will also do, I think. When, since we do have a Facebook page that we could oh, use yes. some more activity on, perhaps we should set up a poll where we have, you know, this awesome mission statement that I've come up with, with thanks to you. And then maybe we have something else and people can vote on it or, or, or not. But I'd love to see more activity on all of our social media channels. That's right. Facebook. I keep forgetting about that. Okay. So we're on Facebook as well. We're also on Patreon. So I'm going to add another book to the book club on Patreon. And then we're also adding, if you do the top tier, then you get a free signed copy of the raffle. And what was it the band left out? That's right. That was, that was, the, that was my last punk band before I you know, okay, so hung, you get hung up album. my bass guitar. All yes, right. you, will, you will get Left Out's one and only album from 1997, which I swear to you, 24 years later, still kicks a lot of ass. Indeed. Okay, so patreon.com slash good is in the details. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about a lot of films and we're going to talk about the philosophy of spoilers. Our guest is Richard Green. And yeah, we're talking about his book, Spoiler Alert. Some of the films that we should mention that do get spoiled, we've got Inception, we've got, what is the film that is, your, is it Star Trek? And so what is it that you say you have a poster of in your office? 
one of the greatest films of all time, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Okay, all right, that, that gets spoiled. Um, <laughs> I love the way you're looking at me. That gets spoiled. How, and how then, dare uh, you forget that, forget that film. What's another, what's another film um, we talk uh, about? We talk about, we talk about, we talk about Zodiac, which, you know. And The Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense. Harry Potter, we just need to throw out what are the possible films that could be spoiled. I think that's it, as far as spoilers go. Those are the big ones. Those are the big ones. Okay. All right. So let's talk spoilers. Richard, welcome to the show. I think something that comes through in your writing is that this is something that is an enjoyable thing to think about. It's a delight to read, but in part because it's just very clear that there's a playfulness to the writing. That So it's not only an intellectual and a thoughtful piece and a philosophical piece, but there's a bit of a playfulness to it. Or what do you think about that characterization? Is that okay? Oh, yeah, exactly. It, oh, okay. It was, it was a hoot to write. Part a hootness? Of there's a hootness yeah, to this book. We, yeah, we were on a cruise, you know, and I was on vacation and I like couldn't stop writing. I was just having so much fun doing it, you know, where I should have just set it aside for a week. Yeah, the, the book, every bit of it to write was lots of fun. It wasn't the usual labor that writing can be for me. In part, because the topic's a little lighter, there's a ton of humor in it, right? Yeah. So, or what I take to be humor. I'm not going to... Or Cassandra, your Facebook friend who knows who she is, but you're protecting her identity because she is a spoiler. Yeah, she's a horrible spoiler. <laughs> that made me laugh. That I suspect she knows this is her. And now I think she doesn't, right? And... and <laughs> I mean, I, I've been very forthcoming with, you spoil too much and I'm writing about it. And still, I, I believe that she has no idea that, you know, because she just keeps doing it. Maybe your book is just a letter to Cassandra saying like, this is why spoiling is bad. Please yeah. stop doing it on your Facebook. Yeah, yeah, that, that was the goal, right? I mean, at several point in the book, points in the book, I say, you know, don't be a jerk, right? This is the next <laughs> book, it's not subtle. It's not hidden, right? You don't, you don't have to dig very deep to find it. Richard, it's something in your book that came across to me. Because my eyes immediately went to it because you specifically referenced probably one of my top three films of all, favorite films of all time. Like if I could turn this computer around, I'd show you that I have, well, I have one movie poster in my office and Star Trek to The Wrath of Khan. And I literally watch that movie almost every couple of weeks. I'm obsessed with it. In your book, I think you referred to the first time the term spoiler alert together appeared was in 1982. And can you give a little bit to this big, you know, Trekster nerd about how that was? I mean, I, I obviously know what the spoiler alert must be in a Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. It's obviously it's the death of Spock. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I'm just curious. Sorry, uh, Gwen, have you, have you seen Do Star Trek II? No, but, but I'm, but I'm okay. And I'm thinking maybe in the intro of this, I'm going to have to say warning, there are spoilers. Oh, there's spoilers in this. By the way, if you haven't yeah. seen that, we're no longer friends. But that's not the point of this question. Uh, Richard, I'm sorry, Richard, could you, tease, could you tease that out a little bit? I'm just, I really want to know a little bit of that background. You know, there were all these chat rooms and news groups on the internet at the time, right? So this is kind of pre-social media as we understand it. And so somebody in, in one of those, and it was a, you know, sci-fi, um, group and a fairly popular one, people all over the country were going into this and engaging in the chat. And somebody coined that phrase there, or spoiler alert properly, as opposed to spoiler, which of course is Doug Kenny from, you know, National Lampoon fame a little earlier on. So the significance of that is that expression took off, right? At that point, you know, internet chat rooms all over the place were starting to say spoiler alert and 
spoiler alert and admonishing people for revealing spoilers and so forth. That's something that I thought was interesting was that there was like this bit of etymology about the the notion of spoiler that it didn't really exist in the same way until you have technology coming around and people have to say, oh, oh this is going to happen. Let's dive into the definition that you give of what makes a spoiler a spoiler. Yeah. Okay. So there's a buildup to this. Part of the, the goal is achieve this sort of reflective equilibrium between the philosophical account that we want to settle on and the way the, the term is used by layperson, right? I mean, it would, it would just be insane to give a highly technical, you know, stipulated technical definition and say, well, this is what it is and have it not correspond to anything actually going on. So it's mm-hmm. a lot of back and forth. So I, you know, I start by saying, well, it you know, applies to things like movies and television shows and it's revealing of information. Eventually you chip away at that And then I end up with this fifth iteration of it, which is any information about a work of entertainment distinct from the work itself. And I should say that's in there because my wife pointed out that the way I define spoilers would make it the case that reading a book would constitute a spoiler. Presumably, if I'm reading a novel, I'm not spoiling the novel for myself. I'm just enjoying it. So any information about a work, entertainment, right? Because we expand it beyond television and film to include plays, novels, some sporting events and things like that, that has the potential and potential is very important, right? Because you can sort of give a spoiler, even if it's not managing to reveal something to somebody, right? So I say to you, you know, that um, Spock dies at the end of Wrath of Khan and you already know that. I still revealed the spoiler, right? So it's what's spoilery about that is not that you got something that you um, didn't know. It's that I did something that had the potential to give you something, right? So it's, it's really not about the hearer necessarily. The thing revealed has to be shocking or, you know, significant in some way and can't be common knowledge, right? You can't spoil Romeo and Juliet, um, nor can it be too old, right? So I use the, the term not sufficiently old. The idea there is that spoilers have a shelf life, but the word sufficiently is doing a lot of work because I devote quite a bit of time in the book um, and also in an appendix at the end talking about things that can never be spoiled. So certain works are such that they're, they're never too old. So it would be really bad if I were to say right now, Snape killed Dumbledore, for instance, except for we issued the um, spoiler warning at the start of the episode. <laughs> Can you spoil the Titanic? Is that possible? Yeah, that's actually a great question. I was going to ask. I was going to ask something <laughs> very similar. Can you spoil the fact that Jack the Ripper has never been caught? Different questions. Let me let me let me take them in order. Um, sure. The answer to your question, Rudy, is no, but I'll come back to it. So I gave the example of um, you know the movie Vesuvius, right? I mean, everybody knows what happens there. So historical events can't be spoiled, but features of historical events can be spoiled. So one kind of, uh, or set of books of, that I talk about a little bit and like quite a bit are Eric Larson's you know, historical fiction. They're entirely nonfiction, but they play like fiction, right? So if you read The Devil in the White City and you're reading about H.H. H. Holmes, those are well-known historical events. You might know quite a bit about that, but you might not know that he's arrested at this point in time or that it happens under these circumstances. So if someone's reading the book, and you, you give that away, they don't know it's coming in chapter three, they don't know it's coming in chapter eight. The movie Titanic, you can spoil like crazy because you know almost all of that's fiction except for the boat um, sinking. But you know, there, if, if you tell the story about Jack and Rose to somebody who's not seen it, then I would take to be an instance of spoiling. 
So within these big events, right, you can't spoil the movie Vesuvius if you say it, a volcano erupts. But you can spoil parts of the love story, you know, that's, that's taking place. I'm sorry, um, remind me again, Rudy, your question was... If you told somebody that, number one, wasn't aware of the story of Jack the Ripper, right? Let's say, you know, my children, like someday I'm going to have to tell them, we're going to go to London, we're going to do the Jack the Ripper walk. Like at what point do I tell them, oh yeah, and by the way, it, if I tell them immediately, oh, he's never been caught or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Is that a spoiler? Because number one, it's not fiction. Number two, it's extremely historical. So I'm just curious, can you spoil that? There's a little bit of nuance here. Okay, so suppose that, that you're um, not the best dad and such that you're, you're taking your four- I'm not, I'm not, by the way. You can go ahead, you can just go ahead and assume that. Yeah, my, my kid's been watching horror films since he was in the womb. I mean, it's- uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, so you're taking your four-year-old and your six-year-old to see you know, Jack the Ripper. And actually, on that note, when I was maybe eight, my parents took me to see Rosemary's Baby, right? So yeah, happened. We went to the drive-in. They thought I would fall asleep, and in fact, I didn't sleep for eight or ten days. Right? <laughs> you were, you, but you were probably better behaved as a child, but because of Rosemary's Baby, you probably believed in the devil, and the devil probably scared the hell out of you. So I, actually, your parents might have done done you a favor right there. Yeah, well, between that and the Exorcist, I was afraid of the devil for a very long time. <laughs> nice, nice. We went to Cat Gwen and I went to Catholic school and so I think we're both still afraid of the devil and and Catholic school yes. <laughs> so, so you're taking in the context where you're taking your kids to a movie they don't know what's coming sure it's a historical event but it's new to them so in the book I maybe capture this with personal spoiler impersonal spoiler distinction such that if you're walking into the movie and the kids aren't listening and you're standing next to someone in line who's an adult and you say oh I can't wait to see what they do with this they never caught the guy if that spoils it for that person it's kind of their tough lot right? It's, we use this sort of reasonable viewer standard, but there's no expectation that the children would know. So there, I think you can spoil it, but it's not what I'm calling a legitimate spoiler in the book. It's one of these special cases where I happen to know you haven't seen something. You tell me you're about to watch it and I say, oh, that's great. Here's what happens at the end, right? Not <laughs> a spoiler because the shelf life had expired and so forth, but it, I still shouldn't do it. Let me, let me uh, a very, very similar example. And here's something that I, I've never admitted before on this podcast, not even Gwen knows this, but I'm absolutely obsessed with the Zodiac Killer. I've read all the books. I've been on all the websites. In that same vein, if, if you know, you're going to watch that phenomenal movie with Robert Downey Jr. and Jake Gyllenhaal, and right before I say it, I say exactly what you just said. Yeah, I just, I can't believe they caught this guy. Yeah. Uh, that, they have, that they haven't caught this guy after all these years. That would clearly be a spoiler, even though it's not not fiction and it's not that it's not that far back in history it's just that the fact that it's not commonly known that clearly would be a spoiler although you got to think most people must assume well obviously they didn't catch this guy why the hell would they make a movie about this particular serial killer if they didn't catch him yeah so probably people would assume that it's maybe an unfair assumption right i mean because probably know it's a really interesting story the way they came to apprehend him and in fact you know a lot of cops were saying after he just kind of disappeared they must have arrested him for something else. And who knows, maybe they've got, you know, it's a, a movie with this fictional element where there's a theory of that sort of thing. Since we're talking about this particular part of my childhood, between Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist, the Zodiac Killer made a, an appearance. You'll remember in the film where he gets um, the character played by Parker Posey, right? And she's out on, you know, I think Route 132. Yes. Into Modesta. Oh, yeah. 
So I lived in Modesto at that time. I, I was in, I think it must have been fourth grade. And the Zodiac Killer in one of his letters said, I'm coming to Modesto on Halloween to kill. And he didn't, but it was, everybody was terrified. You know, every parent was out, you know, with a shotgun in one hand and a revolver <laughs> in the other, walking their kids door to door. It's the most creepy, scary, surreal thing. Way scarier than if the Zodiac Killer had showed up, right? I mean, Do you think that, you know, the fact that you saw Rosemary's Baby way too young, by the way, and uh, and The Exorcist, and that you've lived through this, this whole Zodiac killer horribleness, that you think that had a profound impact on you, and that's why you went into studying film and studying these things, is because, similar to you, I, when I grew up, uh, I didn't sleep for an entire summer, and that was the summer of 1985, and that was when the Night Stalker was Night running Stalker. around. Oh, yeah. it, it ruined me. I, I've written articles about it. My obsession with with horror films is the way, way for me to control, to be able to turn off a horror film is, is because of the psychological damage that Night Stalker ha- had on me. Yeah. And, I, and I do think that's one of my reasons why I'm obsessed with films. Do you feel the same way? Probably not the same kind of connection, but that those films were, were so moving to me as a child, and by moving, I mean, you know, terrifying um (laughs) probably exposed me to you know what film and now television i used to think television was awful but since we're in this golden era where stories are told over very long periods of time i'll put it in the same category i'm guessing the connection was solidified by the way i felt having seen those things and been so frightened and some of the stuff you know i look back on now that was terrifying just isn't at all you know so I, i remember maybe a decade or so ago, I revisited Night of the Living Dead. And I just thought, how did this manage to frighten me? You know. By the way, I got to put Gwen on the spot here. Gwen, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. I knew. I knew. Listen, as soon as you, I told that, you I in, 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 the, in the first episode that we did <laughs> with, with Dahlia, with, with Dahlia, that yeah. you that I will not talk to you ever again unless you go back and watch the original Night of the Living Dead, and you haven't watched it. It's There's free. This, you can get it on YouTube. That, it's in the public domain. That episode was so funny because Rudy asked me, and there's just this pause where I can tell, like. You know, I'm thinking about how I'm going to answer this. And I don't think I edited out that pause. I think I let that one just sit there. Richard, how important and impactful of a film is that? I mean, please, please tell Gwen that, that I've seen that, Shaun that of the Living it. Dead. That's, That's a great film, too. But <laughs> the same thing. No, it, it, you know, I mean, everything that we have now in the zombie genre is, you know, a debt of gratitude owed to George Romero and Night of the Living Dead. Um, and Dawn of the Dead, also, we owe a, a huge debt to that. It, you know, gave us a modern template, I think. Um, that and we'll just say Texas Chainsaw Massacre and we've completed my childhood, right? That's, um... <laughs> that's, a, that's a messed up childhood, man. I love it. I mean, those are, those, uh, as a horror junkie myself, I was watching those films when I was a little kid because of the Night Stalker and that definitely damaged me forever and that's why who I am who I am today. But I, I'll try to be a little bit of a better parent. Yeah, <laughs> same here. I mean, you know, it's my, my son's great and he's in high school, so there's not much I can change, but if I had it to do over again, maybe I wouldn't have all the same things on at the same time. Who knows? Oh, I, something I want to ask you about is, or if we could talk a little bit about, is the the morality. And something that I think is a lot of fun or that's interesting is this, uh, when a lot of times when people think about what is moral, they'll point to the law. And mm-hmm. what you have shown very clearly is this is a great example of while it is not illegal to spoil something, it is to spoil a film or tell somebody the ending, that it is wrong, that there is a wrongness to it. And I remember when I heard your talk about this, we met a couple years ago at the Pop Culture Association and mm-hmm. and your talk on this, the first thing I was thinking about was Immanuel Kant, that it would be wrong according to Kant because it would be uh, robbing somebody 
of the experience of no. the film or you know of, of the enjoyment i mean i think of the movie the sixth sense i had not even seen a trailer for it somebody else said hey let's go see it i knew absolutely nothing about it and i feel terrible for anybody who had that film ruined for them it was so great and i can't imagine being able to enjoy it in the same way and so when i think about the rightness or wrongness of spoilers that to me it has to do with robbing somebody of the experience. So what conclusions do you come to? Yeah, th that one exactly, and I'll elaborate on it. So I take a, a you know sort of pluralist approach to the badness of spoiling, and then I tie the wrongness into the badness. Certainly the, the Kantian stuff, right, denying people of experiences, infringing on people's autonomy is mm -hmm. part of it. And there's also you know, more utilitarian-esque kinds of badnesses too, right? But this is all against the backdrop of some really interesting social science research. There were studies that showed that spoiling doesn't necessarily diminish pleasure. And here it was short stories that people weren't invested in. They were just in a class and they had some people read it straight and some people read it with spoilers. And it was you know, a big enough study that they could say that the people that had the spoilers in some ways got a little more pleasure out of it, right? Knowing in advance that certain things were going to happen with these stories helped out. So if that's the case, then if we think spoiling's bad, it can't just be diminishment of pleasure. So it's got to be something like loss of experience. So you can watch The Sixth Sense, you know, 20 times if you want to, but you don't get to have that first experience where you first learn the twist each of those times. That's kind of a one-time thing, right? Unless something really weird happens, like you go into a coma and come out of it <laughs> with no memories. And so I sort of seek the badness part of the badness at least, in those kinds of things. And so one example I give is a couple times in the book is that, you know, I can always watch Murder on the Orient Express. And, and the more recent one I actually really like quite a bit, but I mean the 1974 version with Albert Finney, right? And that, that hinges on a pretty big twist, like The Sixth Sense. And so I'm not getting that twist, right? That's only been a surprise one time. So there has to be something else that I'm enjoying about that, which is, you know, great acting, great performances, great writing, you know, all kinds of good things about it. But none of them add up to that first experience. The first time you watch it and you get the twist, you're just, you know, sort of dumbstruck. It's like, whoa, you know, I didn't see that coming and, and should have. So yeah, so it's this deprivation that's bad. You're denied something. You know, so for at least for the person that has something spoiled, that's where a good part of the badness is. Your example of Murder on the Orient Express is very similar to something that you, something similar that you address in the book. I can watch The Usual Suspects whenever it's on. If it's on, you, it'll distract me and, and I can watch it. I was very fortunate to actually see The Usual Suspects in the theater. Many people didn't even see it in the theater. I saw it because I ha you saw it. Nice. Uh, I can watch that for forever. Sixth Sense, I saw it in the movie. No one spoiled the ending. I've never seen it since. Mm -hmm. So there is something inherent about the film, The Usual Suspects, that of course I already know what the ending is, but it's just such a phenomenal film, such a phenomenal work that I will watch it even though I know the ending of it. Whereas a Sixth Sense, I, I mean, great movie, but I'll never watch it ever again. Yeah. That movie hinged on that ending to me personally. Do you agree? I mean, maybe just some films out there have something and some don't. It's just the underlying quality of it. I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, take the twist at the end of Planet of the Apes, right? The 1969 version. If that weren't in there, that would still be a great movie. I would watch it over and over. Well, Amen. I, I wasn't a big fan of The Sixth Sense. I like the twist at the end, but I think that's kind of all there is to it. Whereas with the usual suspects, there's a couple of different things going on. There's the three or four times you have to watch it to see how every clue led up to it. But once you've exhausted that, I mean, because the sixth sense, you master it instantly. Oh, he's dead. 
okay, good. With um, The Usual Suspects, there's all these things that tie together. And I mean, I thought about that movie, you know, every day for three weeks. And I didn't have a clear sense of how it all tied together until I saw it more than once. But then, even then, once you get past that, there's lots of other good things about the film, right? I mean, it, it looks great, the story's great, and the cinematography is incredible, the soundtrack's wonderful. You know, it just falls into the category of movies that you can watch over and over because there's something about them that's very good or resonates with you. You're right, that that ensemble cast, they were all just, is it Benicio del Toro in that? It's... He is, he plays yeah. Fenster. Yeah, 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 phenomenal, no, phenomenal. You're right. I have seen that more than once because it is just fantastic. And you're you're right. I haven't watched The Sixth Sense, so everything was the whole thing was about that surprise. Um, now the movie that's coming to my mind is the film Inception. Is it possible to spoil that film? Oh yeah. Because doesn't the director intentionally leave it open where there is this possibility of different ways that you're not, you know, you have to you have to almost watch it again in order to figure out what is going on, but it's not a definitive twist. It, it leaves you. So that's why I'm wondering, can you spoil the film Inception? Yeah. So it possible? I mean, I'm not asking if you... Like, if you yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that I, I think that I'm just trying to think back on it to what... Um, I didn't find any of it too ambiguous, right? It seemed like a Cartesian dream sequence within a dream sequence. And it was like they pulled this thread and when they came out of it, you, you leveled up, you leveled up, you leveled up. Am I remembering this correctly, right? So Yeah, yeah. It's I, just I could, that at the end of the question, the question is, was it a dream state or not? And so I'm wondering if that really is, if that can be a spoiler, because I think that it's left open enough for you to wonder if the entire thing was in itself a dream. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So maybe I just, I, I took it too literally and thought, yes, the answer is that it is. But let's let's um, take your interpretation and you say there's this movie and they do this stuff where they have dreams embedded in dreams embedded in dreams. And in the end, you're left with this question, right? Just telling that, just saying the ending is ambiguous counts as a spoiler, right? If, oh, and, so I just did a spoiler. Oh yeah, but we, we said it. I haven't seen it. Oh, I haven't right? seen Inception. You just ruined it. Here's the thing. I could never sit through it. Every time I tried to watch it, I can't sit through that film. And now you told me the ending. I still, I thank you. I don't want. I still don't want to. Watch. <laughs> it's not sufficiently great that its spoiler um, shelf life hasn't expired, right? It's it, you can say whatever you want about. You know, it's like reporting what happened on I Love Lucy, right? It's time has come. Leo looks good. Dreams are inside of dreams. So I have a question then, because you have a section about nonfiction, you know, or even about sports, like spoiling a game, saying who won. I am wondering. What about something like comedy? Because I was, it's your book had me thinking about that the spoiler almost seems to be if you have to explain the joke or something like that, then it's somehow ruined. Or I guess I was also thinking about like a nonfiction event. Um, yesterday, there was just this completely. I don't know if you saw any of the news, but I just happened to turn it on right when there was this absurd press conference. Oh, but I kind yeah. of wanted the person, yes, yes, I kind of wanted the person that I was going to tell. I didn't want to spoil it for them because it was so funny and absurd that I didn't want to tell the person exactly what had happened. So I didn't want to spoil them of the humor and the absurdity of it. And that was a nonfiction thing. It wasn't exactly a joke, but something that is funny. It's like, hey, hey, you got to see this. You don't want to tell them exactly what they're about to see. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. in the same realm? Yeah, yeah. So it sounds, it sounds like you don't want to spoil that. So I'll just say that poor guy in the last <laughs> month has been in a gotcha movie. Um, did a press conference next to a phone <laughs> store, and now stuff is happening to his face. Um, Rudy, yeah. did you see it? Do you know what I'm talking about? 
I think I know what you're talking about. Is this Rudy Giuliani and the hair dye? <laughs> yeah, the other Rudy. I was watching the... it in real time. And I'm like, what? And I'm feeding my daughter. So it's like, I just, it was time for her to eat. So I'm like trying to spoon feed her and I'm looking at her mouth to making sure I'm getting the food in the mouth. And then like looking at the computer screen, I'm thinking, am I seeing what I'm seeing? So this you is... watched it live? I saw, so I, yeah. this, this, this is interesting. This is a great question. Cause I saw on a fringe news site that I go to on the Drudge Report, I saw like pictures of his face and they called it, you know, Gugliani. And I, and I saw, and it was already <laughs> leaking down at that point. I'm like, oh, it looks like some hair dye le- leaked down from Rudy's face. I, I didn't read, I didn't watch the press conference. I didn't read the story. I knew right away. So it was already spoiled. Watching it live, what was that like? I mean, first of all, what was being said was really absurd. You know, he was saying, um, you know, to the, he was telling the media that they were all wrong. You guys are not reporting that we have evidence. We have affidavits, which is evidence. And I'm sitting there as a philosopher saying, well, not every, you know, every sworn testimony is equal. This is kind of a, you know, that's, that's not exactly what no. evidence means. Um, but at the same time, he's saying these things, seeing the die run down his face was hilarious. It was, if he was just somebody else giving a serious talk, I would have felt bad. But the fact that what was coming out of his mouth was just equally absurd. It just seemed like the gods had just worked in humor's favor. I mean, it was just, everything was against this person. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was the fly on Pence's head, right? Yes! That moment, same thing. So to answer your question, the, the distinction I make in the book is between things that are, you know, works of entertainment and not. I took the line that, you know, you can't really spoil the news. And there's some crossover, right? The score of the football game is also news, but it's presented as entertainment. So that seems like, for me, a, a nice place to draw the line. But I could, I could sort of talk out of that if, uh, to take your point in this context, if you see this thing and you say, okay, you know, call your friend, I'm sending you this video right now. And you're, you're sending it not so they'll hear Rudy's speech, but because it's just funny, right? It's very much like telling a joke, right? I mean, if you're mm-hmm. telling somebody a joke and somebody comes in and tells the punchline, it's frustrating. You get mad. So <laughs> there, there may be a little gray area where, you know, something that's not necessarily entertainment, but that people are going to consume because it's entertaining, they probably count as spoilable as well. Uh-huh. It's a, it, your, your book is a lot of fun. I mean, just this idea of the social and the norms and the cultural of what all goes into this notion of spoiling a film for somebody, the type of person who's doing it versus the type of person who's on the receiving end. At the end of your book, you give some advice on how to avoid spoilers. So if you could tell us a couple pieces of those. The best bit of advice for uh, avoiding spoilers is avoid social media when you know that something is bound to be spoiled, right? You know, a new movie comes out, you're probably pretty safe. The new movie's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or it's the next iteration of Star Wars or something heavily anticipated, people won't be able to control themselves. The other strong bit of advice I have is if you know who the spoilers in your life are, if you can, you know, avoid them. Mute them. My son was a notorious spoiler as a kid because he would want to see every movie over and over. So, you know, we'd we'd go see a Pixar film, we'd go back the next week and he'd just sit there screaming, now this person's going to, you know, get in the car and now this is going to happen. You know, in that case, he's my little boy. I couldn't avoid him. 
And also, I don't care if Pixar gets spoiled for me. <laughs> um, the other people. But yeah, I mean, you know, if you know who's going to spoil, don't be around them. Don't give them the opportunity. And then finally, if, if something's really important to you, get to it first. The new Marvel movie's coming out. Buy your tickets well in advance. Be there the first night. And then you can be the one doing the spoiling, you know, which you shouldn't do. But That's what you just said. What you shouldn't do is that it was just back to this issue of morality is that if you do spoil something... You should feel guilty about it when the person oh, yeah. was like, hey, I didn't know. And, and then that also brings to this idea of what if you did intentionally spoil something for somebody else, you're a bad person. You are. Yeah. If, you're, if you intentionally <laughs> did it, you're awful. If you unintentionally did it, you're human, right? It's normal. I have one story in the book where I um, spoil something from my wife. And so she started to um, read Emma, like the Austin book. And I said, oh, that's great. You know, Clueless is based on that. She hadn't read Emma. She had seen Clueless. And she's like, great, you just spoiled it. Now I know how this is going to unfold. And then I didn't even take the clue. I followed that up with, yeah, and this character is this one. And, you know, and Mr. Elping is, you know, <laughs> before. And she's like, stop. You're just, so even, even people who are on guard about it sometimes do it. So it doesn't make you an awful person, but you should feel bad. In fact, I spoiled something the other day. We had an ethics poll competition and I was training the judges. I said something in reference to the Queen's Gambit, but I won't say it now because it's, it's- Good, because I haven't seen that way, yet and I do want to see it. Way too recent, but I've, yeah. So I just, I said this off the cuff remark, yeah, there were 40 judges on the Zoom screen and they're all laughing like, oh, we love that show. And then um, one of the people in the room who's my really good friend, uh, Thanks for spoiling that for me, man. And I was like, oh. Wait a minute. Sounds like you wrote this book to yourself. Sounds like you're suffering from uh, from giving out some spoilers <laughs> and, and I, you need I to am. reread this book. I write, I write for myself pretty much. I'm, I'm just trying to make myself laugh. Well, Richard, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I have links in the show notes to Professor Green's book and also to his podcast, I Think Therefore. Rudy and I will be doing an IG Live the first Tuesday of every month on 8.30 p.m. So tune in to check that out. And I've also linked our Patreon page to the show notes. All right. Now, have a good day. I hope you're still wearing your masks. And until next time, bye.